Okay, we're going to turn today uh, in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. And let me read it for us. The author of Hebrews writes, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having potentially waited, obtained, patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. So you know this is true, but sometimes life can feel like you're you're in a boat out on a vast sea and in the middle of a raging storm. I have a friend, uh, I just found out recently, that had a son that broke his arm in, in two places. And, um, and, and not only that, in the exact same week, they had another child go to the ER. And so I reached out to him just to see how he was doing. And um, if you're a parent, you can relate to this, right? I mean, just... Crazy stuff happens. And when you have to take a kid to ER, to the hospital, or even to the doctor, it can be so stressful and it just weighs on you. But twice in one week, and he had to travel out of town away from his wife. But the truth is, this family just has endured constant difficulty and trial. So I wanted to reach out and just see how they were doing. And I acknowledged to him on the phone, like, you know what, man? (laughs) It feels like your guys' lives are more complex than the average bear. Like, it's just, it seems, it seems like a lot. And he said, yeah, you know, uh, before I turned 30, it just felt like life was so easy for me. He said, you know, like, I felt like I was one of those lucky few for whom life was just easy until it, until it wasn't easy. And the truth is, and you know this, that people all around us, and you may not know this, you know, we put on a good face and we smile and say hi and everything's fine. But the reality is there are people all around us that are experiencing great life challenges. They're experiencing adversity, calamity, difficulty, grief. And the truth also is, I keep saying the truth is because it's, (laughs) is we're all just one phone call away from having our life turned upside down. Just one, one phone call. But today's passage is offering us a profound hope. And it's a hope that every single one of us needs, and and whether you're a Christian or not, I hope by the end of this passage you'll see today that I do need this hope. Beautifully, Hebrews says in chapter 6, verse 19, that we just read, it says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. 
The author is saying that Jesus is an anchor for our souls in the storm that is life. And that he's an anchor that is sure and steadfast. An anchor that is certain, true, reliable, and stable. Okay, so what is an anchor? I mean, we all know what an anchor is. We don't really have to define it in many ways, and, but I, I do want to define it just for a second. It literally is a heavy object attached to a rope or a chain and used to moor uh, or secure a boat uh, at the sea bottom. And an anchor must be attached securely to your boat for it to work, right? It has to be attached to you, in a sense. And it has to pass through the water. It's of no use if it remains in the water. It has to pass all the way through the water to the bottom and rest and find refuge there in the bottom to fix you where you need to be in the water. Now, the water as you know, is in a constant state of change. It's always flowing, always moving. And without an anchor, you will not stay fixed. You will, especially in a storm or a tempest, you will not stay where you need to be. It's in a constant state of motion. And we need an anchor for our souls, all of us. Every one of us, I believe, is looking for something to give us a sense of security and to keep us where we need to be, especially in the storms of life. Now, some of you may be uh, spared the storms for a time in your life, but like my friend, storms will eventually come. And in the midst of the storm, I know you will long to have the security. Um, those of you that know, we, know me well know that um, I am married to an anchor-type person, and she'll hate me bringing this up, but, but she is. Becky is stable, uh, she, I am emotional and all over the place. She's even keel. She's stable. She's loving. She's supportive. She's patient. She's steadfast. She's, she's a strong person too. And, and the reality is, in spite of the fact that I have a best friend in Becky and a strong spouse, she's not immutable. None of us are. And there are really good anchors in this life. Let's face it. Like I said, I'm blessed to have a best friend and a wife who's like truly an anchor for me, but she's not enough. And no matter how many anchors you have in this life, a great community, a great friends, great families, whatever you may have, the reality is they are not immutable. They change like the water, just all of us. Both dying, your, your own personal death, which most of us probably are not facing in this moment, but some of you may be. Your own personal death and, of course, the death of a loved one are the worst of storms in life. And I think one of the reasons uh, the death of a loved one, someone you profoundly love and count on, especially, they're the worst of storms because they're revealing to you that the anchors that we hold dear in this life are not secure enough, especially if you're looking to them as an ultimate anchor. People are truly the best that we have in this life. And, and that's right. Theologically, it's good. It's right. It's true. Why? We are created in the image of God. And if you're going to be tempted uh, to secure yourself to anything, it makes the most sense to secure yourself, not to money or stuff, but to people who are created in the image of God and have profound value. And yet, even the strongest of people are not enough. I've had the pleasure and the 
the pain of doing many funerals in my ministry. And one of the observations I've noticed in doing funerals is how quickly uh, people need to move on with their lives, even after losing somebody that they love so much. Your closest family and friends will experience extreme grief. They will. And some of them will carry that grief for the rest of their lives, but they will have to move on with their lives. And life will go on without you, no matter how strong you've been or no matter how great an anchor you've been for others. And Hebrews is calling out to us from literally 2,000 years ago, but through the Holy Spirit today, to say there is an anchor in this universe that you can count on. He is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And what he wants us to see is that he is the fulfillment of the covenant promises that God made with the man of faith and the father of our faith, Abraham. So today, you can trust people, you can trust things, you can trust yourself, or you can trust in the Lord. Uh, if, if this were like a, a survey, you'd say like, well, I want a none of the above. I want to check none of the above. And the truth is, uh, you can do that if you think you can. But like in checking none of the above, all you're going to do is become hardened in this life and sad. And, 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 and the hardness of your heart is going to lead you to uh, just agree with us that you need an anchor. And so you can check all the above if you want. And, and the reality is that that's, that's kind of what we all do, right? We, we put our anchors in people and things and stuff and careers and our looks and our health. And that's okay. But if you don't have the ultimate anchor in Jesus Christ, what you're going to see today is it will not be enough. But there is such an anchor. And the Holy Spirit is calling out to us through the book of Hebrews to say, put your faith and your trust in the one that you can fully trust. And so Hebrews 6, our passage, 13 through 20, is giving us three reasons to consider. And in a way, I want you to think of them as like three strands of a strong rope that are secured to this anchor. And it's the oath of God, the oath of God, the character of God, and the Son of God. The oath, the character, and the Son. So the oath of God in verses 13 through 17. Uh, The recipients of this letter are experiencing an enormous shift in their faith. Imagine, uh, you've spent your whole life following in in Judaism and uh, following uh, the the, the temple priesthood, uh, the temple sacrifices, the law, the Torah, and so forth. And, And in many ways, Jesus is making them rethink the categories of all of this. And in doing so, uh, they feel like their life is shaken to the core. And one quick question as we get started with this today, though. In Jesus' coming as Messiah, did he undo the Old Testament narrative and story? Did he come to put those things away? And the answer is absolutely not. Uh, in, In his coming, Jesus did not... Uh, kill the law or put away the law or, or say that none of this matters anymore. Instead, he said, I came to what? Do you remember? I came to fulfill it all. He is the one that the entire Old Testament has been pointing to throughout, all the way from Genesis all to the end of the, end of the Old Testament saying Messiah is coming and he is the completion of that story, the fulfillment of that story. So that story is not put away and it's, it's the fulfillment of it beautifully. So in Genesis 12, God called a man named Abraham to leave his family and his home 
which were his anchors, his security. And God called him to trust in his promises. And the promises were this. God, God promised Abraham and his wife, Sarah, I'm going to give you a land. Uh, and not only that, I'm going to give you a people. You and Sarah are going to be the father and mother of a great nation. In fact, um, your descendants will be so many that you won't be able to count them. It'll be like looking up at the stars of the sky and you won't be able to count the number of your descendants. But there was a problem, wasn't there? What was the problem? No, no son. No kids at all. No son to bear, to, to bear the name, to bear the promise. And so, uh, and, and by the way, Abraham at this time is like 75 years old. Sarah's also old. So Hebrews 12, God calls Abraham to leave his family. He calls him to remember also uh, the promise that God made with him. In chapter 12, uh, the promise of covenant or uh, the promise of land and a people. In chapter 15, he guarantees this promise with a covenant. They literally cut a covenant. And then later in chapter 22, this is where God wants us to focus, or excuse me, the author of Hebrews is wanting us to focus in the story because God swore an oath regarding the promise that he gave them in chapter 12 of land and a people. Now, in chapter 22, the interesting thing is they now have a son in their old age. They have Isaac. God has made good on the promise. They have their son, Isaac, but they're, they're very, very old. And then if you know the story, God asked Abraham to sacrifice their one and only son. And now I want you to imagine again the agony of Abraham's heart as God has told him to do this horrific thing, to take your one and only son, the son of promise, the one they've been waiting for, that God has promised all these years, he's finally here, and now they're to go to the mountain and to sacrifice their one and only son. And if you know the story, as they're, they're walking up to the mountain, uh, Isaac says to, to Abraham, Father, I see, I see the fire and I see the wood, but where is the sacrifice? And what does Abraham say? He says, God will provide for himself the lamb for sacrifice. But then they get there and he goes through the routine and he can you imagine how Isaac is feeling? He is now on, 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 laid down and he's being bound by his father with rope and his, his father has picked up the, uh, his knife and is about to do the unthinkable when the angel of the Lord stops him from doing so. And then as he looks up, he sees that God has provided a ram caught in the thicket. And indeed, God had provided the lamb for sacrifice. And then... The Lord makes a promise to Abraham, and not only does it promise again the same covenantal promise of land and a people, he, he's already done that once with a promise. He then does it again, and, and Abraham says, well, how will I know? And God does this unbelievable covenant ceremony where he alone passes through uh, the, 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 uh, the pieces of the animals saying, may this be done to me. And now he says, not only that, I'm going to swear on my own name these promises over you. So today, even in our own cultures, oddly enough, when, when somebody's sworn in at court to testify, right? They get out a Bible, 
you place your hand on the Bible and say, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, so help me what? So help me God. And so you're swearing. It's like somebody tells you something. Are, are you serious? Yeah, I swear. <laughs> I promise, I swear. And, and when, you, when you testify in court, you're saying, I swear to God, I will tell the whole and complete truth and you will be held accountable if you don't tell the truth and the whole truth. But for God to swear, what is he going to swear on? We swear on a higher power, so help me God. What does God swear on? Well, according to this passage, what he swore on was himself. His own, his own character. I promise by myself, on my own name, I will be good to my promise. The oath of God. The next thing I want us to see is the character of God. God had promised Abraham again in Genesis 12, made a covenant in Genesis 15, and then in, in, in chapter 22 in Genesis, and, he, and it says in Hebrews that, that he wanted to show more convincingly the unchangeable character of his purpose. Think how beautiful that phrase is. <laughs> he wanted to show more convincingly uh, the, the unchangeable character of his purpose. And how gracious a thing that is of God to do. For God, he's already promised a Abraham the first time. And, and that should be enough. For God to speak a word out of his mouth, for, for him to say anything, it's, Ill, it's immutable. For God to say, this is, this is true. It, it is fact. And yet, he then makes a covenant, and then this third time, he doubles down. Why? Because he wanted to convincingly show the unchangeable character of his purpose. God did not have to do it, but he doubled down saying, I will do this. And this is one of the primary reasons why you need, you need the Lord as your anchor and nothing else. Not in an ultimate sense. You need the Lord more than anything else. Because who else has completely unchanging character? No one. Verse 18 tells us that God cannot lie. He's altogether true and unchanging. Who else is like this? All of us uh, sh uh, shade the truth to some degree, even the best among us. And, and maybe you don't outright lie, but maybe you don't come full, you know, come tell the whole story or only tell one side of the story. All of us have at least done that at times in our life where we have outright lied or shade the truth or not been fully truthful or t told the whole story. And even if you're not prone to lying at all, let's say, you would be unique, by the way. <laughs> but let's say that you're not prone to lying. When you promise somebody something, you can't know beyond a shadow of a doubt whether you will have the power or the lifespan to carry out the promise you've made. And that's the beautiful thing about God. Not only does he have the character to make such commitments because he's, he is unchanging in his character, he also has the omnipotence or the power to bring it about. Uh, as a church, we confess, um, we have a confession of faith. It's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And, and it's, we don't believe that to be the Bible. You know, that is our final authority, but we believe it's a great summary of what the Bible teaches. And in that confession of faith is a larger and a shorter catechism. And in the catechism, in question four, it asks the question, what is God? And the answer is, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. 
in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. There is such comfort to be gained from knowing that God is unchangeable in his will, in his character, in his power, in his ability, in his goodness, in his holiness. Our, our, our lives are like water, constantly moving, unpredictable, up in the air, changing, temporary, and fleeting. But God is constant, fixed, steadfast, immovable, permanent, everlasting, continuing, and eternal, unchangeable in his character. I need that. Don't you need that as an anchor for your soul, Hebrews is saying. This is true for you. And Psalm 34 says, and I love this psalm so much. The the psalmist writes, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or woman who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord have lack no good thing. I love, I love this passage. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste. Use your senses. Taste it and, and see that the Lord is good. This next week, my family and I will be um, experiencing one of life's great joys for our family because Becky will be making her brown bag apple pie. And, and you say, brown bag apple pie, what is that? Well, she literally takes a brown bag like from Trader Joe's or the grocery store and uh, creates this amazing pie that has enough butter to kill all of us, like, <laughs> and sugar also, and places it in a brown bag and it kind of smells a little funky as it's baking, I got to admit. It, it, you taste it, you first smell and say, like, I don't know about this pie. And then the glory of what comes out of this brown bag, the, the way that it seals in the juices. And, and we will taste and delight and be full and satisfied and rejoice. And tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, what it's calling us to, you know, I, I just painted this picture of what it will be like at our Thanksgiving dinner table to enjoy the whole meal, but to crescendo it with brown bag apple pie uh, will be a joyful thing. And God is calling us to delight in himself in such a way, to be satisfied. The psalmist is calling to taste the goodness of the Lord, to, to see the goodness of the Lord. And when you taste something good, you experience joy. And, and he says this, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Lack no good thing. You have all, all good things. You're satisfied, he's saying. You're filled up. There's a completeness. There's a joy. There's an anchor. That's what he's saying. You may not find it fully here. In fact, I know you won't. The best things in this life are only an echo or a shadow for that which we wait. And there's this, there's this universal longing that we all have. Why, I need an anchor. I need an anchor. I got to find an anchor in something. Money, sex, joy, power, relationships, family, friends, spouses, whatever it is, romance. And it's never enough. And C.S. Lewis says the fact that we're all longing and looking for an anchor in this life and never founding, finding it here only points to the reality is there is such an anchor. You just, you won't find it here. Your longing is found in eternity in Christ himself. 
You need an anchor. Finally, the third point, God's character, God's oath, and God's son. And we, we certainly can't take the son of God, we can't take Jesus and just make him another point, right? He is, he is the rope, he is the anchor, he's everything. In verse 19 through 20, let me read it again. It says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I just read this to you, and most of you who haven't been to seminary are going, what is this talking about? I have no idea what this is talking about. <laughs> but the, the, the readers of this letter would have known exactly what he's talking about, because this is, this is Old Testament theology and, 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 and Old Testament experience. What's, what he's talking about is this. We have a hope, he says, that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And what he's referencing is uh, the temple in Jerusalem. And before that, it was the tabernacle in the wilderness. The very heart inside the temple was, you've perhaps heard, the Holy of Holies, which was the representation of God's presence on the earth. It contained the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, remember Indiana Jones, that great theological movie, <laughs> The Ark of the Covenant? Uh, the tablets of the Ten Commandments were in there, and Aaron's staff, and manna, and the holies of holies representing God's presence and his holiness, in a sense, uh, was, was God's presence on earth, but God's presence was separated from the rest of the temple by this enormous curtain. And in a sense, God's presence, because we've been removed from the garden, is, is being separated actually not only from the rest of the temple, but the rest of the world. And there's this enormous curtain, but it's saying that Jesus, our greater high priest, was able to go behind the curtain just as the, real, the high priest of that day would go into the Holy of Holies, but only once a year, right? On Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Once a year, behind the curtain. And what this is saying is this, Jesus is the greatest high priest of all. In fact, Jesus is not only the greatest high priest, he is the sacrifice the greatest sacrifice of all. And that Jesus is taking us to the very presence of God, an anchor for your soul. It's not enough that you know a, high, a, a priest that can take you in, or maybe he is literally taking you and me into the very heart of God, into his very presence. And as you know, when Jesus raised from the dead, it says that the, the veil of the temple was torn. It was rent, representing that God's presence is now about to be poured out on all of humanity through the Holy Spirit among those who would believe. And so the promise of Jesus going behind the temple, behind the veil of the curtain, is this. Christ himself is our greater high priest and the greater sacrifice is bringing you into the very presence of the living God. So, Jesus has gone into the Holy of Holies behind the curtain. He's taking us there. And I want you to know this as, as this. Jesus is the ram caught in the thicket. One of the things that we say, say all the time around here, and I just did a membership class this past weekend on Saturday, and we talk about how we believe in something called covenant theology. We believe something this, that the entire Old Testament is, is, is pointing to Jesus. 
Not every single passage, not every single like little detail, but in writ large, the entire Old Testament in, in types and shadows is pointing to Jesus. And, and when, when, God, when Abraham said, God will provide the lamb for the offering, he's, he's pointing to Jesus Christ. Listen, when, when, when Abraham was told to do this horrible, horrible thing, I want you to sacrifice your one and only son he came right up to the moment of having to do it, but he did not have to do it, did he? No, he didn't. God spared him that. God provided the lamb for the sacrifice, but, but God the Father did have to do this. God the Father gladly, willingly, painfully, and joyfully laid down his one and only son and sacrificed him on our behalf. Because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. And so because of that, Jesus can be an anchor for your soul. He has done everything that is needful to take you to the very presence of God. And Hebrews tells us to go boldly into that that place of mercy because of what he's done. You can experience complete fullness and joy and forgiveness. And so... We are connected to Jesus by faith. And, you know, just as an anchor goes down to the ocean and rests there and secures us there, our anchor, it goes up into heaven, in essence, and anchors us there, guaranteeing that when we die, we are so anchored to God that we will go to the very presence of God. We will go to heaven. What great hope to have an anchor, not just in this earth, but in heaven itself, to God himself. But an even greater anchor is this that someday heaven will come to earth. That not only are we going to escape this earth and get to heaven, but that one day earth will come to heaven and God will redeem and restore and renew everything that is broken. And when he does, we will have the greatest Thanksgiving meal of all. And we will indeed be at that table with God and the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Christ is our King and we will taste, indeed we will taste. And we will see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this anchor that you've provided. An anchor for our our soul. And I, I pray for us, Father, for every one of us in this room, because we need this anchor so profoundly. For those who have yet to trust in you, I pray, Lord, that you would open up eyes and ears to see to hear that you are the anchor that our hearts truly long for and that we're constantly seeking in every every pursuit in life and and for those of us that have already put our hope in you lord we have many other anchors out at sea and some of them are more secure than others but none of them are secure enough so would you help us to profoundly uniquely place our our trust and hope in you, the anchor of our soul. And as we gather this week around Thanksgiving tables to give thanks, would you help us to truly taste and see that you're so good, Lord? To pause, to slow down this week, Lord, we're so busy, we're so distracted, we're we're so lost in so many ways. Would you help us to enter into Thanksgiving this week, to truly taste and see that you're good and celebrate that reality in Christ's name? Amen.